Well, hello again there, folks. Uh, this is Narrowgate Podcast, and my name is Ben Hoover, and welcome, welcome, welcome to those who are new, or those who are uh, steady followers, devout followers there, um, and uh, yeah, welcome to another episode, and on this episode, man, sometimes I want to just kind of list tag words, so Okay, so here's here's what I'm going to list. Uh, we're talking about children. We're talking about projection, uh, scapegoating, splitting, the demonic, uh, judgment. Man, just some really lighthearted topics, right? Just some 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 good lighthearted topics. You know what's interesting? Um, I was <laughs> I was having a talk with my uh, therapist the other day, and. Uh, I, I, I like to call certain conversation that uh, doesn't seem deep to me, uh, you know, conversation that is filled with just the day-to-day talk, how are you doing, I miss you, I love you. Um, I like to call that lighthearted. Um, that's my, <laughs> because that's not, that doesn't tend to be where I camp out. I sometimes do the intense and the heavy and man, you know the 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 conversations that uh, that seem lighthearted are sometimes the deep conversations. They're the they're they're beautiful parts of a relationship. And man, oh man, do I sometimes uh, do the uh, do the intense conversations a little too much. And anyway, something I'm working on. Uh, and the reason why I brought that up was because uh, as I laugh is because all those taglines that I, or words that I, um, just listed are all pretty intense and heavy. And, you know, this podcast does veer on that side. I hope that in some ways it instills some hope. That is the goal, um, in some ways, or, or really, I guess kind of the goal is just to share a message that I've been thinking about and pondering on in a different way. I, I like, I, I think this podcast for me is a great outlet of integrating different ideas, uh, things that inspire me that maybe other people talk about. Um, sometimes my own endeavor in in books that I read. Uh, I, I do love reading uh, the Bible from time to time. Um, you know, I, I think about certain parts of it and they stand out in my head and I wonder why I can't get rid of it. And then I start digging into it and discover some really unique things that I've never been taught uh, while being in the in the church environment. Uh, and, and then I also like blending, I guess, sort of philosophy. Uh, I have a, I actually have a buddy of mine, we go on walks every, uh, tend to do every two weeks, and we do, uh, we do kind of old man walks, and anyway, we, uh, we call each other, uh, the gloomy, gloomy day buddies, because we love the clouds and the rain and just the storminess and the fog, and we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, probably a little rare, uh, in, in what, in the fact that we like that compared to maybe others that like the sun, but then again, we're, I'm just, uh, it's just a small population that I'm, uh, that I'm assessing there, so, anyway, but, but, 
we uh, we love going on walks and doing kind of these deep philosophical talks, and we you know we get personal obviously, and but we ponder on sort of the uh, or we we mine the 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 more subterraneous ideas in life, and you know it's enjoyable, and I, I think in a lot of ways I not a lot of ways I I enjoy doing this, um, but boy, you know it's it's. I realize how much it's necessary needed to balance that out with some good, light-hearted, my word, fun and and just non-intense conversation. Uh, anyway, so, um, but for now, this is this is where I camp out, at least in these podcasts. Uh, and so, I've been chewing on some ideas for maybe a month, no, I would say over that, and I was trying to think of this, uh, and warning, I'm, there's going to be some, some, some religious talk here, so if you're not, and you get turned off by that, I encourage you to hang on, because I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, again, I'm, I'm in this place where I'm unraveling things that I've been taught, uh, wanting to understand, in a different way, maybe present things in a in a in a different light, uh, just to consider from a different angle than what I've been presented or what maybe any of you who are listening have uh, have understood or have had certain things talked about and interpreted. And so, anyway, I'm I'm going somewhere. The whole demonic thing. I know the term demonic or demon or Satan or whatever is not. A foreign idea to most people or concept, so or name, so uh, so I I, I wanna I'm, I'm gonna be linking some things of uh, childhood or children to the demonic to uh, judgment and yeah so pull up a chair um, well you're gonna you're gonna need something lighthearted after this let me just tell you that. So, anyway, after all that rambling, so here's where I want to start. I'm going to start with this thought that I believe the demonic exists, but not in the way that it's been conveyed. As if there are these forces, spirits out there. Um, Now, I could be totally wrong here, right? So, don't take this as gospel. But... I believe that the demonic is actually a projection. Uh, it's been created by humanity. I'm not saying God is, but I'm saying the demonic is. It has been created by, although we do kind of create God to how we understand this God. So uh, there's a lot of things we project that I don't think actually end up being God. But anyway, uh, that maybe is for another time. But we do the same with the demonic. And uh, obviously, throughout history, you probably have, there's various narratives on the demonic uh, in scripture. You get that, and and uh, it's interestingly enough, the demonic is uh, uh, sometimes it's the the go-to word or, or diagnostic or label for um, quite possibly maybe certain ailments, uh, um, mental ailments, illnesses, whatever. So uh, so it's it's a term. 
that I think people have used to try to understand problems and pain, right? So I think the demonic, and, the, and conversation about that has carried through the present today. And I have been, when I was a part of churches in the past, that that uh, definitely is terminology thrown around, depending on the church you go to, or the denomination you're a part of. So, you know, there's the Satan, there's the devil, there's the demonic. Uh, those are sometimes interchangeable words and or names. And, and that's usually, well, I'll, I'll go into why I think we uh, grab for those names to diagnose something. So anyway, but I want to start with children. Uh, so when we're young, we come just these uh, little emotional beings, reflexive beings, right? We have a need, we express it through emotion, and our parents are supposed to somehow figure out the, the puzzle or the combination and uh, to, to, to provide for us what it is that we are crying out for, right? If we're cold or if we're hot or if we're hungry or if we need nurture or if we feel scared or um, if we need to sleep. Yeah, all those different cries, variations in cries communicate what those needs are. So, so as we age, obviously the emotions don't go away. But eventually we're able to articulate them. And if we grow up in fairly safe homes where our parents care for us in ways, um, you know, the our emotional health and development and our understanding of that will uh, will develop well. Uh, we'll become, uh, we will have attunement to ourselves, meaning we'll be able to uh, listen and understand and be aware of, the emotional movement happening in us and what that's communicating and how to express that and the needs conveyed within those, right? Because all, all emotions have needs for those who maybe aren't aware of that, that they all express some, some kind of human need. And so, so when we, but in our development, when we begin to verbalize things um, when we have a little bit more of a development in awareness, uh, I would say not, obviously not a full development in awareness, but that is beginning to, uh, to grow in us. Um, interestingly enough, kids that, you know, when we start out, we don't have a real awareness, keen sense of what's happening in us, emotionally what's going on, we can't articulate it in the way of, I feel sad and this is why, right? So kids actually are able to express what they're feeling and their experiences through play. And that's how they verbalize things, is it comes out through the way they play with others, the way they interact. Uh, there's, there's a great therapeutic intervention, which is called sand tray, which is this little wooden box with sand in it, and then there's various objects that you can pick, uh, that choose from, that are symbolic, that the person, it doesn't have to be a child that does this, an adult can do this as well, and will place these objects in the box uh, as a way to symbolically represent or talk about or narrate their internal world, 
what they're feeling, what's going on, what's happening inside. And so kids that when we're when we are children, we have we don't yet have this ability to just articulate to the other person what we're feeling and why and really express it, the expression of it comes through play. And oftentimes uh, what is also the child's also processing through that is family experiences, relational experiences, what they see in interaction between parents. And so, uh, and then also there's themes of the emotion that comes forth in the, in, in their play and their, the, the way they communicate through sand tray or through art. There may be this presence of anger or sadness or whatnot, and it comes through beautifully in the way they play. So that's how children process, and and that's what's really cool. So if you're a parent listening to this, or you work with children, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, uh, but that's a powerful template or canvas for them to process what's happening emotionally. So, but. What first starts happening when we're kids and we're uh, in, in development of expressing, understanding our feelings is we, through play, our feelings become externalized. So what I mean by that is, um, is that our feelings are put out there, right? So we don't have the language or understanding yet to say, this is happening in me. Does that make sense? That, that when I ask, does that make sense? As if... There's people in the room nodding or not, uh, or responding to me. So anyway, so what's happening is the child takes the internal without awareness and externalizes it into the canvas, the, the play, uh, the, the sand tray, the art therapy or, or artwork or whatnot. And they're not aware of that, right? But, but this is what naturally is happening. So... So the child is expressing it through that. Now, um, what's actually really important is that the child, with the help of the parents, their 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 safe uh, safe attachment figures there. What what is needed is that the parents begin to help the child understand what's happening. So let's say the parents are playing with a child or they're doing art with a child or allowing the child to have the time to do that and the child comes up and shows them this stuff and whatnot and the parent might begin to explore with the child what that might mean or you know I notice you drew this face where this person looks angry is that what's happening and uh, and and so they're engaging in conversation with the child and they're also helping them understand what they're expressing through through whatever medium they're expressing it through so so the the parents then eventually what what's happening is that the parents are the goal for parents is to help their children uh, notice what they're feeling uh, express it and understand it all kind of in that package and so how they do that, and I'll give you an example here, is uh, let's say the child comes home from school and they're visibly upset. Let's just say they're sad, right? And they walk in and they're sad because maybe they walk home from school and the parent 
notices their child and and the the visible felt emotion over their body over their uh, conveyed in their body language and the parent turns to the child and says hey what's wrong or what's going on so first off the child the parent doesn't maybe tell them what they're feeling right because i think that's important is not to just directly tell it's uh What's even more important is that the parent turns to the child and the child experiences that. The parent turning to them and uh, noticing them and seeing them, right? And then uh, and then from there, maybe the child doesn't express or verbalize what's happening. They just, maybe they shrug their shoulders. Maybe they just briefly say, I don't know. But they're still obviously that that felt emotion is still present in them. And then maybe the parent uh, follows up and says, yeah, it looks like you're having a hard time there. It kind of looks like you're sad. Is that what you're feeling? And the child may nod in agreement and say, yeah, that is what I'm feeling. and Or not say anything, but just nod in, in agreement, uh, confirming that that's what they're feeling. And so then the the parent maybe draws close to the child and says wow yeah i can see that you look sad what's happening well what what what's been going on and maybe the child at first doesn't share a lot maybe a little bit and the parent just kind of uh just shows interest cares for them shows some compassion right and uh and then maybe they kind of find out that they got left out of something right and so the parent then says, oh man, I would feel sad too, right? So there's some empathy there, some joining with the, with, the, with the child. And saying, yeah, it sounds like that really hurt. So they validate the emotion. And yeah, I would feel sad as well, you know, if I got left out. And then say, it sounds like you really wanted to be included. And, and for your friends to include you or to be connected or whatever you might phrase, right? So then what you're doing right there is, you're articulating the emotion and then the parent is saying what the need is underneath that. So all of that's really uh, necessary and, and beautiful because what they're doing is they're helping the child, first they're defining, helping the child define what they're feeling. And then they're helping them understand maybe the situation or circumstance that elicited the feeling and also the need expressed in the feeling. So that is actually critical because how many of us actually grow up and we have no fucking clue? <laughs> I'm going to say that word. We have no clue what we're feeling. We have no idea. We know that we're feeling something and we judge it and we criticize it and we say, I shouldn't feel that way. And we, and we have all these techniques and methods of trying not to feel it. Um, meanwhile, it just keeps coming out or eventually it will come out in other ways. But, um, but we grow up without that blueprint, without that map of being able to kind of travel into these territories within ourselves and, and understand what's happening. So, so the parent, parent's beautiful role is to assist and guide the child in knowing who they are, Right? And that's a huge part, is knowing who we are is knowing the emotional parts of ourself. That's vital, because that's actually 
the governor. That's actually what steers us in life. Uh, if that gets shut off, it can lead to a lot of problems and also lead to a lot of struggles with um, intimate relationships and connecting. So, uh, so if there is this kind of uh, healthy foundational work being done in the parent-child relationship, then the person's going to grow up understanding what's going on in themselves and what their emotions are communicating. Because the reality is, is how we interact with the world, how we come to understand the world is through an emotional framework. Something hits us in a way and we want to understand it, right? It, the emotion comes through sort of the, the feeling of I like that, I don't like that. Um, well, that's more of the evaluation, but, you know, through a dissatisfaction or a satisfaction or enjoyment or a pain or a joy or sadness or anger, you name it. And so this, this is a language we absolutely, it's vital that, that we learn to speak and understand and express. So, uh, so, and what's actually really important on top of that is the whole range of emotions we feel from the ones that are more pleasurable and enjoyable to the ones that are uh, difficult and challenging and intense, I should say, more than just difficult, just intense, maybe complex, right? Uh, maybe like grief, uh, various emotions tied to loss, uh, um, anger and hate and jealousy. And uh, those are those are profound wonderful, beautiful emotions that exist in us, and they're, uh, it's integral that we understand those and be able to connect to those. But if a parent, say, has different reactions to the, to the different emotions, so the parent really engages and connects with the child when they're all excited and joyful and aroused with, with you know, just excitement over something, you know, then, yeah, then the the child is going to associate with the kind of the good feelings, right? You know, this is good. These are good feelings that I'm having. This gets this, attracts this kind of interaction. But then let's say they have anger and uh, they, they, they feel an intense rage or they're sad or whatnot, and they get certain response from the parents, like a parent getting angry back and shaming them and saying you shouldn't feel angry, or um, or maybe a child uh, who starts to cry, let's just say a boy starts to cry, and the father says crying's for girls, right? So there's shaming and judgment there. Well, man, that little soul is going to suck all that up and take that in, and they're going to they're they're going to really avoid feeling that or they're going to really feel a lot of shame and they're going to judge that emotion and think that's bad, right? Because when we're kids, that's how we categorize the world, good and bad. It's called dualistic thinking, where you you categorize things or you you section things uh be, within these two categories. So that's a really young experience and most of us don't grow out of that. We do a lot of dualistic thinking. This is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. Instead of this is right and wrong, this is good and bad, right? That, that, that all experiences, events, whatnot, carry both of that. There's these great things in us and there's not great things in us, you know? There's things that I like about the church, there's things I really don't like about it. So that, um, but, but oftentimes a lot of us camp out in 
it's either this way or it's this way. And so, and so we don't realize that that's actually, that happens when we're really young. And a lot of us don't develop out of that into the gray area that, okay, there's a little bit more complexity here than just those two answers than this kind of binary response. But, uh, but if a parent, you know, has different reactions, one shaming, one getting excited towards the, towards those quote unquote good feelings, or there's the shaming and judgment towards the more complicated, intense feelings, then yeah, the child's going to develop that understanding that this elicits a really negative reaction from my parents. So don't feel that those are bad feelings. Um, or this, this generates a really connected, enjoyable response from my parents. So I'm, uh, these are good feelings, right? So, uh, so the issue is that when a person gets stuck in that, then they're going to have a really hard time feeling the range of emotion. And just just to be aware that the way you treat yourself and your emotions and you, the judgment you put around it, the evaluation, the defenses around it, all of that started when you were young. All of that's a young experience, right? So um, anyway, so where I'm going with this, oh, and by the way, the, the good versus bad, good or bad, that's, uh, there's this um, psychoanalysis or psychodynamic term called splitting. And that's a defense mechanism, meaning what we do is we only go for the good and we generate those good feelings and we avoid the bad, we circumvent the bad and we, we uh, uh, veer away from experiences that might draw out the bad, right? And so we don't want to touch those things in ourselves because they're evil, they're shameful, they're sinful, whatever judgments uh, have been put on that. And so, so we push these things away from ourselves. So one, uh, one aspect of that could be sexuality, uh, that, you know, that just feeling arousal, well, that's a negative thing or the orientation who we're attracted to. Well, that's bad. That's evil. Right. And so, so we push that away. We avoid that. We, uh, we, we don't want to look at that and that's called splitting. So, where we push the unwanted parts away and and the unwanted parts are fueled by shame and the shame is fueled by the way people have responded to us right it whether we've talked about it or expressed it in a certain way so now fast forward to as we get older and all of this stuff the way we respond to ourselves and treat ourselves uh now develops uh, in a in a different way. Oh, I'm sorry, not in a different way, but but what it's now a grown up version of what we experience as a child, right? And let's just look at it as let's say that we didn't learn to uh, listen internally to what's happening on happening inside of ourselves, and then uh, and and make decisions based off of that. Let's just say that we've grown up where that hasn't been taught to us. So everything becomes externalized, right? So our internal world, in other words, gets in, yeah, gets casted out there into the world, to people, to other things. And, and we uh, are not aware that, that this is what's happening in us, that this is what's stirring in us. But we believe, we, we were convinced that it's happening 
in in other in other people, right? So let's just say, for instance, we're really angry, but we uh, we and I've experienced this. There was there was, uh, and I've I've experienced this kind of growing up. I experienced this now at times where I feel really angry inside. But what happens is, if let's just say I'm around a person, I might think silently, "Oh, they're really angry at me," when the reality is I'm actually really pissed at them. And so that's what projection is: is you uh, you literally uh, believe that what is happening in you is actually what's happening in the other person. And so uh, because what's happening is that we've developed that defense that what's happening to us is unwanted. We don't like the anger, so we, we end up believing that the other person's feeling angry instead of us. And, and the goal is actually to be able to own our anger and, and, like I said before, express it and whatnot. So, so what happens, though, is when we're kids and this isn't developed uh, of understanding our internal framework, what happens then is that, that this gets all projected outwardly and uh, and so we have various defense mechanisms as to uh, to that happen that that keep us from looking at the fact that this is happening in us. So so we do a couple things, and one is uh, is projection, which I talked about, and then splitting what what I talked about, and then there's another one called scapegoating, and scapegoating, uh, and this actually happens in a lot of. Uh, mythology, and then also you'll see that in the stories of Scripture in the Bible uh, about scapegoating. It happened in the Old Testament, and then it happens in the story of Jesus and his death, right? And that's actually really, uh, yeah, there's some cool thoughts on, very unique alternative thoughts on uh, Jesus' death uh, beyond what the church has taught. And I've found it to be actually very powerful and, and moving for me and helpful. But anyway, so, but what you see in those stories, especially in the story of Jesus' death, is people scapegoating. People uh, that basically project and cast their own guilt and shame and violence and hatred on to Jesus and then kill him. Right? So scapegoating is this tactic this mechanism inside of ourselves where what we do is we feel all this shame and disgust and uh, self-hatred and whatnot and and violence in, our, in ourselves. And what we do is we end up putting on the other person and uh, or in, in the Old Testament, it was to put it onto an animal, a goat in particular, and then send them out in the wilderness, right? And it was this symbolic way of getting rid of the guilt and of, of the shame, um, and so so it's basically putting it on to another person uh, for them to carry, and we don't realize this, but all of us do some shape or form of scapegoating. Probably most defense mechanisms, actually. So so this is then where uh, where the demonic comes in, or Satan, or the devil. And this is where I believe that that we've actually created this paradigm, created this realm in a way to deal with what's going on inside of us. That's why I, I wanted to paint that background of what's hap- what happens when we're children, when we don't develop 
uh, an internal understanding and we we live just externalizing our problems uh, this is this is what I believe has been developed and it's obviously very well articulated in the church uh, or actually depending on the denomination so in my personal experience uh, definitely grow up in a family and then in church environments where uh, where problems are uh, influenced by spirits, right? By the spiritual realm, and uh, and if you're particularly struggling with a certain behavior, uh, feel a lot of shame. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's I don't know. You're having sex and you feel shame about that, or you're masturbating, or um, whatever it might be that you feel some sense of judgment about. What I would hear in conversations was man, Satan's working overtime, or um, man, I'm being really attacked right now. And that's the language that would be used that I experienced from the community I was in. And and that would be, uh, yeah, so that would be kind of a, a common topic. And, and oftentimes people would bring this figure, this character, into their problems that the demonic, that Satan, that the devil was creating these problems for them. And now that was hard for me because people were would share that they had experiences with in the spiritual realm, saw things, and and I don't want to discredit that because that very well could be the case. However, um what I would experience would was people really feeling tormented by the problems in their lives. And what I began to process and think about was how uh, the, the common thread in all that was not so much what they said, but how they said it. That I would listen to people tormented, hurting, um, defeated, beat down, and and really struggling with their uh with these problems significantly and and I would hear such a such a self-hatred embedded in the tone in their voice that there was such a, a criticism and anger towards themselves they would try to almost in a way castrate their problems out of their life and so what I had seen or began to think about and wonder about the spiritual realm, about the demonic, is that uh, is that that had become something for people to understand their problems, but because they didn't understand that they were wrestling with themselves, this was an internal wrestling that they felt a lot of shame and self hatred and judgment towards their problems that that uh, that they because it hadn't been developed, they were stuck in this externalizing. So what's happening to me is probably caused by some force out there. So, so again, kind of like a child does, right? Remember, when, when a child can't articulate internally what's happening in them and understand that it's happening in them, then they, will, they, will, they process things through an external, um, uh, in, in an external way. So this is what I believe is happening, particularly in the church and, and in any kind of religious community where 
where the spiritual realm is brought up, the demonic in particular. And so what, uh, what I'm hypothesizing here is that could the demonic be a projection of an internal struggle? That the more self-hatred we feel, the more we, we might say, man, I'm feeling really attacked, right? Can you pray for me? Or you see, I've seen uh, or experienced and been around people that are so broken down by what they're wrestling with and, uh, you know, through prayers. And, and these are people that obviously have good intentions. I'm not saying anything uh, that they're doing is wrong. This is more just I, a wondering if, if, if this is what really is happening. And so I would be around, I'd hear conversations where people are, you know, pretty intensely confronting the demonic and, and telling them to leave and something called like rebuking, right? Or renouncing or, um, you know, going through these, going through these little kind of ritualistic, um, interventions to address these problems. And so what what I've begun to, to think about is that really really what's happening underneath, just to say it simply, is that the person feels so much shame for what they're struggling with. They don't understand it. They don't know what's going on. Um, and, and, and it's hard, right? And when you feel that lost, of course you're going to feel tormented because you don't know what the hell is going on in you. I, and I would experience that growing up where like I thought that, man, maybe it is a demonic. Maybe it is something. When, when as I went through therapy, I realized that there was such a voice of self-criticism that existed in me that was attacking me. And, and um, the, the word for devil or Satan, I think, is accuser. Well, imagine that. Here, here we... Uh, what we've labeled with Satan as as the accuser is what is what is happening in us is what we're doing to ourselves is there is this accusation there is this criticism there's this harsh evaluation about what's going on in us and by the way that voice didn't start with us those are voices that we've heard in our intimate relationships in our with our parents with other with other uh, family members other loved ones in our lives that that these are voices that have been passed down throughout humanity and so uh, but i think now because we have more of an understanding there's more of a development and awareness um, we can we can begin to uh, address things differently and label things differently and be able to heal because we now know what it is, where the problems really lie, where the struggle really lies, is that it's in ourselves, it's in our relationships, um, it's caused by that. It's not caused by this demonic realm. So then that also brings me to just quickly the topic of judgment. And you'll, you, if you've ever read scripture or just heard this said, which is pretty common, is, you know, don't judge, least you be judged, or whatnot. But what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, if you're going to first, this is my paraphrasing, if you're, if you're going to be all caught up in someone else's uh, splinter in their eye, you got to first look at your own 
log. Now, he wasn't saying that with, I don't think he was saying, yes, it was confrontational, but I don't think he was saying it in some condemning, shaming way. Why? Because what happens when we feel shame and condemnation? We withdraw, we pull away, defenses come up, right? So what I think he was actually doing was actually he was doing it in care and love. And 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 again, this was this was for the healing of people. That what he, he what he was basically saying was to draw the person back to themselves, to to encounter what's going on in them, to heal, to face their own judgments. Because when we're when we're judging someone else, just like we're just like what I've been talking about, is with the children and all of that, or or the unwanted stuff. What we do is when we feel this judgment inside ourselves, what do we do? We judge others. It's a projection. So what's happening is what is what is stirring in us, what is moving in us, what we hold inside, we then articulate that out towards another person. So what we judge really is revealing about our own selves. That there's judgment that we hold towards our own selves. So if someone's judging someone else's sexuality, well guess what? That means that they're, they've judged their own sexuality. They're uncomfortable. They don't know truly their own sexuality and why it exists and what it means. Um, and so, so Jesus, in an act of love and compassion, is challenging the person to look back at themselves, to face what's in them, to first look inside. Because once that changes, what happens is it will change the way we see someone else. It's crazy how that happens. Um, that that when we immediately jump and, and feel a reaction or have this judgment towards someone, then the then the direction is to go back inside as to what is being stirred up in me, what is going on in me, right? Um, and uh, and it doesn't mean that the emotions going on isn't telling about what we're experiencing with the other person, right? If we feel irritated or, irritated or annoyed, um, that communicates something of what we're experiencing with the person as well. But it's when we go in the judgment of, oh man, they're a you know they're a bitch, they're an asshole, they're whatever it is, whatever judgments we we put on someone, um, that uh, that actually has a destructiveness to it. Um, that actually doesn't build relationship. It doesn't heal things. So, but underneath the judgment is, man, there's an anger I feel towards this person, right? There's a hate I feel. There's something I don't like that's happened between us. There's something that rubs me the wrong way when I'm around this person. I don't know what yet, right? That's important because, like I said earlier, we're emotional beings and, and we're reactionary. And and that that initial instinctual emotional reaction we have uh, is communicating something, and and that's that is the key is that we get through the judgment and be able to look underneath the judgment of what it is that is occurring in us and 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 moving in us and what that's communicating, and so that I believe is where Jesus was going with that. What he was really communicating was you got to look in yourself because the judgment that you're so fixated on or focus on in this other person is really coming from you. And if you can go inside and look at that, it's going to impact the way you interact with the person. 
Um, and so, so that self-healing is really important. So anyway, um, so that's, I hope this all kind of makes sense. I know I threw a lot out there, but, uh, but all of this starts when we're young. And when it stays in that stuck place, in that young place, where everything is externalized, it's split into good and bad, um, we, or, and we scapegoat our problems, right? Because it's, again, we split things, right? So when we have all this stuff going on in us that feels harsh and it's, and it's tormenting and stuff, we judge it as bad. And then when we judge it as bad, we then we want to cast it on to something else, right? And believe that it's something else that is creating these problems in us. And so, uh, and by the way, not to make this more confusing, that uh, when we're putting our problems, when people put their problems on Satan, they're actually putting it on, uh, they're misdirecting it. And when they get angry at Satan, what they're really, what's really the issue is they're actually angry at the person that has caused a lot of pain in them, in their lives. It's just easier to misdirect it or to direct it elsewhere. Um, I had someone get really angry at me for some of the things that I've written. And um, anyway, and and that, uh, you know, and I love this person, but but got really angry at me because of what I'm writing because it has created some problems in this person's life. And, um, and, And yet what I realized after that was actually... The person's not really angry at me. They're angry at someone else. and uh, But that took processing it with somebody else to realize that. Um, but but that's what we do, right? Is sometimes the person that we're directing our anger at or the object or the, the, the what we've created as the person, object, sp- force, spirit, whatever, um, is not what we're really angry at. We're angry at the people that have created, that have caused wounding, that have hurt us. It's just feels safer to put it on something else that isn't even related. So, yes, all of this to say is that I hope that this helps you maybe look inside. That when we're thinking the other person's feeling something, that when we're putting all our problems onto somebody else, right, um, when we're pushing away things and we're afraid to look at them, like you know, which would be splitting, uh, that that that's communicating something. Is there's something that we feel shame about in ourselves? And the goal with that is it's not just going to change overnight. It's not going to change by just changing our mind about it. Um, it's going to take interacting with people, being in safe communities that help us sift past and through the defenses to help us look at and own and articulate and verbalize uh, the, the, the aspects inside of ourselves, the feelings, the needs, the desires, all those things that feel so scary to us and we've judged them as wrong. And so it's going to take people in our lives that we feel safe with, who are safe, that respond safely, to draw us back to our hearts, which is what Jesus did. And so I hope that this has a universal component to it, uh, that, that you, if you've stuck around and you got through some of the religious um, jargon, that you realize that the demonic or anything we've projected outward or created to be the problem or the, what's causing the problems in ourselves, uh, that, that there's commonality in that. 
that we all do that, and that maybe, maybe we can begin to look at the stirring happening in us, the struggle that we go through in our internal world. And maybe in that way, that that would lead to greater change in the way we connect with others, in the way we relate, in the way we become a healing presence for other people. But it first starts in ourselves, that healing. That is foundational to the way we engage in all of life. And so, on that note, thanks for listening, and I hope you listen next time to be continued.